This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Welcome to the program, Warning. Today, we're sharing a message by Pastor Ty Gallstrom titled, Greater Love. This was recorded September 17, 2005, as Dr. Hansen was leading a mission team to Jamaica. Now, let's begin. Turn to John 15, if you would. Praise the Lord. Sister Natalie, I'm going to come up and have you read John 15, in verses 1 through 17. John 15, verse 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts away, and he cleanses, and he repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit, to make it bear more and more excellent fruit. You are cleansed and pruned already because of the word which I have given you. Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. However, apart from me, You can do nothing. If a person does not dwell in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and withers. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire, and they are burned. If you live in me and my words remain in you and continue to live in you and in your heart, ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. When you bear much fruit, my Father is honored and glorified, and you show and prove yourself to be true followers of mine. I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love and live on it. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and live on His love. I have told you these things that my joy and delight may be in you, and that your joy and gladness may be of full measure and complete. 
Now this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing the things which I command you to do. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you my friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and I have appointed you. I have planted you, that you might go and bear fruit, and keep on bearing that fruit, that it may last, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is what I command you, that you love one another. Any questions? You know, John 14 through 17 is some of the most powerful, deep scripture you're ever going to find. Anyone know what that discourse, John 14 through 17, is often called? John 14 through 17, what is it often called? We know that Matthew 5 through 7 is called the what? All right, Brother Derek. Sir on the Mount, John 14 through 17 is often called the Olivet Discourse. Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. So that's your tip for the day. If you didn't learn anything the rest of my sermon, remember Olivet Discourse, and you'll impress all your friends. Praise the Lord. When I read this scripture, when I read John 14, 15, 16, or 17, I mean, it's... It, it just takes the whole gospel for me and it just squeezes it down, kind of like the Sermon on the Mount. And it really comes to the heart of the matter. If you want to get to the heart of the matter, read Matthew 5 through 7, then jump over to John 14 through 17, and that's the heart of the matter. Everything else is valuable and good and edifying, but these two scripture passages really take the gospel of Jesus Christ and confine it down to just a few chapters. Starts in verse 1 saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, when we get down to verse 5, it says, Jesus says, I am the what? And you are the branches. Amen. Everyone say, He is the vine. And I am the branch. You are the branch. Who's the branch? Me. And who are you? Are you a disciple? Who is he speaking to in the Olivet Discourse? Is he speaking to the crowds, the masses? He's speaking to his disciples. So the branches aren't all of lost mankind. The branches that are attached to the vine are his disciples. Are you with me? He says there in verse 1, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch. Who's the branch? You, potentially. Every branch in me that bears no fruit. 
Now, if you want a good scripture to defute once saved, always saved, might I tell you to read John chapter 15? This is a warning to the disciple, right? This is not a warning to the world. This is a warning to the church. This is a warning to those who call themselves Christian and have a relationship with Christ. He says, every branch in me that bears no fruit. My father, the gardener, the vine dresser, he will come and he will cut. And there will be a separation. Are you following me? This is why Paul can say, I'm running the race and I'm, I'm winning the race, but I want to come to the finish line. He recognized that it doesn't matter how fast he went, how good he ran. He says, I'm pressing on. I am pressing on to win the crown, to win the prize. Because he recognized that the Father is the vine dresser. He recognized that there is a judgment. Not just the judgment seat of Christ, but there is the white, great white throne judgment. And Paul ran with perseverance, the race marked out for him. Verse 3 says, you are already, well, I want to go to verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, it says that he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Now, the actual Greek word here is, is that they're translating prunes is cleaned, cleansed. He says that those who are truly abiding in me, those who are truly my disciples, who are hungering and thirsting after me, I have a promise for you. I'm going to prune you. I'm going to clean you. That's a promise from the Father. That's why Peter and other people can say, when things go tough for you, rejoice. Why? Because that's the cleaning process. That's the pruning process. He's going to continue to sift you and to refine you. Why? Well, if Sister Karen was here, she could tell us why. Because when you go to that bush and you start to cleanse, you start to prune, you start to take away some of the stuff that doesn't need to be there, you start watching that thing and it starts to grow. Right? If your grass isn't growing, what do you do with it? You thatch the grass. You pull out the stuff that you don't want, and then the stuff has room to grow. That's why we can rejoice when persecution comes upon us. That's why we can rejoice when suffering comes upon us. Because we recognize that Christ will use every situation to refine us, to cleanse us, and to prune us so that we can bear more fruit. That's the promise of God. That's why when you ever lead someone to Christ, don't tell them that now that you're a Christian, life is going to be grandeur and without problem. How many in this room can say life has no problem, has no strife, has no persecution, no trials? Life has trials. The beautiful thing in Christ is not that trials are taken away, but that trials refine us and make us more like Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. All things can potentially work together for good for those who what? Are in Christ Jesus, who abide in Christ Jesus. He says there in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. 
You are already clean. So in the verse before, he says what? He says that for those who are my disciples, my branches, I have a promise for you. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to prune you. And then he says, you're already clean. My thinking of that is that whole thing of salvation. You know, Jesus has saved me. I'm being saved and I will be saved. When Christ looks at me, when the Father looks at me, He sees the precious blood of Jesus. I am already cleansed. And He says, but don't think that's what you're going to hold on to because I'm going to continue to cleanse you. Even though when I look at you from an eternal perspective, from a redemptive perspective, you are clean. The blood has covered you. Do you recognize that in means of salvation that you're never going to be any more saved? Right? Now, perfected and cleansed and prunes, absolutely. That is the promise if you continue on. But if you are truly in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are born again, the Spirit of God is within you, you will never ever, from a redeeming perspective, ever be more saved than you are right now. So stop fighting it. Stop trying to work for salvation. It's already done. It's already perfect. The blood is perfect. He says you are already clean. Don't worry about that part. Now abide in me and I will continue to prune you and cleanse you from within. Not for redemptive purposes, but to take on the full maturity of Jesus Christ. That is the goal for the disciple, to take on the full maturity of Jesus Christ. So look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, remain in me. I believe that when Natalie wrote out the Amplified, it said, Abide in me. That's a glorious word in the Greek. It's meno. Everyone say meno. And meno means to stay or to abide or to live or to dwell. Jesus' command to us is meno in me. Abide, live, dwell in me. Say amen. Amen. Remain in me. And I will meno in you. I will remain in you. No branch, you're the branch, can bear fruit by itself. It must meno remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you meno abide, dwell, and stay in me. Verse, actually, go, let's go to Revelation chapter 14. In verse, I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, he too will drink of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, That's a long time. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and his image. You ever thought about that? There is no rest. How many of you value rest? How many, when you crawl into bed at night, my wife always says this. She always says two things when she gets in bed. She goes, Oh, I've been looking forward to this all day. And then she always says this. It's so funny. She goes, I am so tired. And I always say the same thing back. I say, honey, then you're in a perfect spot. 
<laughs> there is no rest for those who turn their lives away from the redemptive work of Christ. Can you imagine for eternity no rest? There is no rest for those who reject Christ, for those who worship the beast in his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Verse 12, this is the important part for our study today. This calls, so in light of all this, in light of the fact that if you turn your life away from the redemptive process of Christ, if you live it your way and do it your way, if you take the mark, which is basically only an external symbol of something you've already chosen in your heart, it's not like you're just going to have this mark on your head and it doesn't represent what's in your heart already, right? If you're a rebel, you're a rebel and you'll take the mark because you are a rebel, Right? The mark of the beast is going to be an external sign of what's inside you already, which is rebellion to the ways of God. So in light of all this, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and meno remain faithful to Christ. So he says that for the saints, we got to have patient endurance. we got to understand that there is a fate for rejecting the will of God, and we must remain meno, stay and dwell in the presence of God. Amen. That is the only way. Yes. He puts a mark and says, here, if you go this way, there will be no rest, forever torment. Therefore, in light of all this, let us run the race. Let us recognize that we are on the narrow path of Christ. And let us meno in him. Verse number five I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. If a man meno in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, abide or dwell in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away. And withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and are burned. If you meno in me, if you remain in me, and my words remain or abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Isn't that glorious? That for those disciples who truly remain and abide in Christ, he says, out of that relationship, if you have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you really are seeking the face of God, if you really want to worship Him and adore Him and flow with Him, then he says the relationship is so stable. Ask for whatever you want. Remember, it reminds me of Augustine's, I believe it was Augustine's words. It says, seek the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then it would ask for whatever you want. Because when you're in that covenant relationship with Christ, when everything in you is just bent towards serving God, then everything you ask is going to be in the will of God, right? If you're abiding in Christ, then the very character of God is at the center of your life. Whatever comes out is going to be of Christ. He says, ask whatever you want. I'll give it to you in my name, in my character. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be given you. Verse number eight says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse nine, we come upon the, come upon the second great word. The first was the meno. Verse nine introduces this word called agape. As the Father has loved me, agaped me, Now, one thing I I believe that this whole sanctuary knows, everyone here knows, is agape comes from where? It is heavenly, isn't it? The only person that can produce in themselves agape love is Christ himself. You have in yourself no agape love. You have a whole lot of other kinds of love. You can produce brotherly love. That's phileo. You can produce erotic or eros love or storge love. There's different kinds of love that you can do, but you can never initiate in yourself agape love. That is the perfect love of God. For God so what? The world. He agaped the world. Jesus can initiate agape. Only Jesus can initiate agape. It is heavenly love. He says, as the Father has agaped me, so have I agaped you. So here we have the Father allowing the agape love from the throne to come down upon his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus receives that agape love, and he says, now I give to you the agape love of the Father. He says, I, you cannot produce it on your own. Therefore, I have to give it to you. I've received that agape from my Father, and now I pass that agape onto you. Right? We have received a heavenly gift. Now look what he says in the latter part of verse 9. Because of this, basically, Christ says, because I've received the agape and I've given the agape to you, he says, now remain, abide, and dwell in my agape. Meno in my agape. Abide in my agape love. You might be saying to the Lord, Lord, how do I do that? How do I meno in your agape? How do I abide in your heavenly love? Verse 10 answers your question. If you obey my commands, you will meno in my agape. Everybody say, obey my commands. Then you will meno in his agape. Meno in his agape. That is the way that we receive the love of God. So verse number 10 again. If you meno, obey my commands, then you will meno in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. You see, the very same way that we receive the agape love of God by remaining his love, Jesus says, this is the way I had to get it. The very same way that Jesus had to get the, the meno, the, the agape love of God. He says, I had to remain and abide in my Father's commands. That's how the love of God came in me, Jesus says. And because of that, I can pass it on to you. And he says, if you want to have the agape love of the Father, I will give it to you. 
But just like I had to abide in my Father, you must abide in me. Doesn't that make sense? He's just passing it down. He's basically saying, you can't get it any different than I got it. I came and flowed in the agape love that wherever I went, I could let the agape love of Jesus Christ, the Father, flow through me. He said it only came by abiding in my Father. If you heard a life lesson last week on Wednesday nights, we talked about a lot about abiding, about putting yourself in a position to hear from God. If you'll simply put yourself in that position, Jesus promises that my agape will abide in you. Praise the Lord. This world does not need your brotherly love. It doesn't just need your storge love. What it needs is the agape love of Jesus Christ. Because the agape love of Christ knows right where a person's at and he can deliver the perfect message at the perfect time. See, there's someone that's rebelling against the ways of God. And they're in the church. The agape love will come and confront that person with the reality of their sin. See, agape love is not what you consider brotherly love. Where we do everything we can not to cause offense, you know? We don't want to offend our brother, and so we stay away from them, let them continue in their sin. That's not agape love. That's human love. The agape love of God is willing to look at a religious hypocrite and say, repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn nigh. In so many words, you're willing to confront sin because of the love of God in you. Because that person's destiny, their soul, their eternal fate is more important to you than your relationship with them. Amen? But you have to be taken out of the way. If you are filled with just human love, then you will avoid conflict. You will avoid conflict with your spouse, with your children, and with your neighbor. But if you put yourself in a position and obey his commandments and allow the agape love to fill you, you will flow with the love of God that takes care of business wherever it needs to take care of business. That's what we need in this church. Flowing with that kind of love. The love that's willing to lay hands on the sick. The love that's willing to go out to the downcast. The one who is not appealing to you. The one that can do nothing for you. That's the love of God. See, Jesus was ministering and poured out his life to a people that could do nothing for him. Our human love, we always look for people that can benefit us, right? We can exchange something. But agape love goes up to a person that deserves nothing, that can do nothing for you, and you can allow the love of God to flow out of you onto them. That's agape love. It's not based on need or desire or worth. It's based on the plan of God. Verse number 12. He says, my command is this. Agape each other as I have agaped you. Did you catch that? My command. It's a command. Agape each other as I have agaped you. You see, this command is totally contingent upon abiding in Christ. Because it says if you don't abide and remain in Christ, then you can't receive the agape love of Christ. 
And so you cannot fulfill that command of agape one another if you're not willing to abide in Christ. So he looks at everyone and he says, this is a command. Agape one another. It's a command from God. Therefore, every command that he gives, he gives provision to be able to do the command. Because by yourself, you can do nothing here, what he says. But he says, if you will abide in me and let the agape love flow through me, then in truly, you can agape one another. So one day, as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to look and he says, I have commanded you to agape one another. And if we have failed to do that, we're going to say, but Lord... I didn't have the provision. You say, you didn't remain in me. You didn't dwell in me and live in me and rest in me. Verse number 13. This is the kind of the keynote part. It says, greater agape has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, about two weeks ago, up until about two weeks ago, I always thought about martyrdom. You know? Whenever I, heard, whenever I heard that, I say, oh yeah, Christ died on the cross for us, therefore greater love has tie than if he just dies for somebody else. That's what I thought. I thought about martyrdom, like being killed for Christ. And the Lord spoke to me and says, that is such a superficial, that's such a small part of what I'm meaning there. And he started to say, why don't you go study that verse? And when you look at the word life, greater love has no man that lays down his life He's not talking about your physical body. He's not talking about your soma, the flesh. He's not talking about just having your body pinned on a cross or die in martyrdom, being shot for Jesus Christ. He's talking about something much more profound than that. Turn to your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. And in verse 20, Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse number 20. Matthew 20, 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indigent with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we read in verse 13 of chapter 15 of John, greater love has no man than a man who gives his life for another. That word life is suke. Everyone say suke. Suke means soul, self, person, or being. 
Greater love has no man who lays down his soul, his self, his life, his being for his brethren. We just read in Matthew chapter 20 about Jesus Christ. It said there again that Jesus, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his suke as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus, when he came, he came to pour out his life, his suke. And he just didn't pour it out when he was pinned to the cross. He laid down his life from the beginning till the end. He was stoned. He was threatened. He was mocked. Jesus Christ poured out his life all the way through. And it says that Jesus, even before the foundations of the world were set, decided to come and give his life for all. See, Jesus, as he was ministering, was pouring out his suke, laying down his life for his brothers. That's not to be confused with another word, life, which is zoe life. Zoe life is everlasting life, both in time and quantity, quality. It's eternal life. That's zoe life. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about yourself. No, no man has greater love than lays down his self for his brothers and sisters. Just as Jesus poured out himself over and over again. Jesus is the pattern for you and me. And that's why he has the authority to look at us and say, greater love, greater agape has no man than to do basically what I have done to lay out my life for my brothers. Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 and verse 33 says, whoever tries to keep his life, keep his suke, will lose it. And whoever loses his suke will preserve it. So the warning here is, if you try to save your own soul, save your own self, preserve your own self, he says, you'll lose it. But if you what? If you lose it and allow Jesus to save it, then you'll be saved. Then your soul will be saved. Look at John chapter 13. Verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. Oops, sorry. I'm in the wrong place. John, yeah, I think I am right there place. Oh yeah, I am. Okay, verse 34, chapter 13. A new command I give you, agape one another. As I have agaped you, so you must agape one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my suke for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your suke, your life, your soul for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. 
See, Peter was saying basically, I promise right now, Jesus, that I'm going to lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, you cannot do that. You can only release your suke to me and I will save you. See, Peter tried to carry out the divine principle by his soul. He tried to invent a new religion. And Jesus says, that can't happen. You cannot save yourself and neither can you save me. You cannot lay down your suke for me. You can only do it through divine love. If you remain in my love, then you can lay down your life for your brethren. See, Peter wanted to initiate it himself, and Christ said, no, you cannot do that. It is I am the life. I am salvation. If you abide in me, then you can lay down your life for your brethren. See, Paul oftentimes says, I die daily. I am poured out like a drink offering for each other. See, Paul, everything that he received from Christ, he allowed it to flow through him and to touch others. The thing that we need to do as Christians, think about it. People need what? They need the agape love of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that people can be saved and sanctified is the agape love. The problem in the church is no one puts themselves in a position of abiding in Christ, therefore they don't receive the agape of God. And so people around them starve because the body of Christ is dysfunctional. It's not working. Greater love has no man than lays his life down for his brothers. You know what that means. It's not just laying your life down and being willing to be shot for Jesus. It's every day crucifying the flesh and getting up and getting in a secret place. That's true love. You recognize that the world needs saving and Jesus has chosen you to go out and to speak the words. True love is saying, I'm not going to respond to my flesh and my laziness, but I am going to put myself in a position to be changed by God. That is the greater love that has no man. To lay down his life, his soul. Every day you choose to reject your feelings and your soul and say yes to God. That is great love. You see, what my wife needs is not my soulish love. My children do not need my human love. They need the agape love of Jesus. And the only way I'm going to get the agape is to put myself in a place to receive the agape. That's great love for my children. We need the agape love. And for me to be able to give out the agape, i got to receive the agape. And for me to receive the agape, Jesus says, you must remain in me. And if you're going to remain in him, you've got to crucify the old man daily. That's the greater love. Greater love as no man then pulls himself away and pounds his flesh, his sinful nature, in a submission to Christ. That is great love. Do you have that great love? As soon as we respond to Christ and say, Lord, I'm going to put myself in a position to be sanctified by you, to be cleansed by you, to be refined by you, that's when we start to receive the greater love. We need the greater love. The greater love is far more than martyrdom. It is being martyred every single day for the sake of Christ and for the sake of people around you. 
So you cannot be used to help your brothers and your sister apart from receiving agape love. What has caused the church to be so sick is that we flow in human wisdom. We, like Peter, say, I'll lay down my life for you without abiding in Christ. That makes a dysfunctional body. That's a love that will not confront sin. Right? It's only agape love that will overcome your own need and give the word that's a hard word. You see, when Apostle Hansen goes before leaders and kings, it's not, <laughs> you've got to have agape love to do that. Who would want to put themselves in a position to speak about the sin of a king or the sin of a nation apart from the agape love of God? And Apostle Hansen has recognized that he has to abide and dwell and put himself in the secret place so that he can decrease and the Lord can increase as he abides menos in Christ. And for you to be successful, for you to be able to be truly what God wants you to be in the body of Christ, to truly have the greater love, to lay down your life for another, it's exactly what the scripture says over and over again. To be crucified daily. To pour out your life as a drink offering. To be crucified with Christ. To pick up your cross and follow me. The famous words of Bonhoeffer, that every day Christ bids you to come and to die. That's the greater love than any man. To lay down your suke, your soul, yourself for your brothers. That's what every person here needs from the top to the bottom church leadership that fails to do this will never produce spiritual fruit he says you can do nothing apart from me if you don't have the agape love then you can do nothing no fruit it's true in a family if the father as the head of the home fails to do this greater love then he cannot produce spiritual fruit in his wife or his children in the church, we can produce no fruit. We can produce no disciples. We can produce nothing of value apart from the agape love of Christ, which is totally conditional. We need to respond to the agape love. We need to put ourselves in a position. We need to be determined in our hearts to do those things which we sing about. One thing that I think Christ is very irritated about is when we sing all these songs of consecration to him and Lord, I will put myself in the secret place, but you never do it. Isn't that hypocrisy? Isn't it not? Sing about it, Lord, revive me, but rejecting every method of revival in your life. Lord, let your love shine upon me but never putting yourself in a position to receive his love? Lord, use me for your kingdom, but never putting yourself in a position to be used? How often we sing of these great songs of surrender. Lord, I surrender all, but you surrender nothing. We gotta put ourselves in that position, friends. If we ever want revival in your personal life or revival in this church, it will never happen apart from that. It won't. It can't. Because revival is all about the release of the agape love of Christ. And it can't be had apart from abiding in Christ. 
Christ says, if you fail to abide, that's your choice. I'll stand, I'll knock, I'll bring servants, I'll bring prophets, I'll give warning, I'll give judgments, I'll do those things. I'll be faithful, he says, but you must respond and say, Lord, I want to put myself in that position of abiding in you. Amen? Greater love has no man, no woman, no teenager than those who are willing to lay down their lives for each other. Being hung on a cross or being shot in the head for Christ or a one-time instance when you stand up for him, this is about every day presenting yourself to Christ and say, Lord, here I am. This is really becoming a disciple of Christ every single day. This is not the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world, the Christian pattern, is call yourself Christian and do what you want. That's the Christianese of this world, but we must reject that and say that is not the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is abiding and remaining in Christ. And I'm going to invite you to come and just to kneel up here at the pews in front and just make a declaration to God. We talked about it last Wednesday that we got to make a time and a place to abide in Christ. You got to make a solitary place and a solitary time. Ask yourself, Lord, do I have a solitary place and time that Christ always knows he's going to find you at that time to be able to speak into your life, to pour out his agape love. Make a commitment to God today. I will make a solitary time and a solitary place to abide and dwell in you. And the promise of Christ, if you'll do that, he will pour out his agape love. And then and only then can you produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Now here is my friend, Scott Farah, and he's going to help you with your business. Scott? Jesus teaches us that we should never do anything without making a plan first. Most small business owners fail to follow this biblical principle and do not have a written plan for where they want to be in one year, three years, five years. Yet every large business has a written plan. Many who wish to start their own businesses do not develop a plan first. This is one of the major reasons that 80% of all small businesses fail within the first five years. God worked through me to develop a unique educational program for business people. Quite frankly, this program has changed people's lives. If you currently own a business or if you're thinking about going into business for yourself, you need the Independence Program. Visit our website, independenceprogram.training, and if you choose to purchase this unique educational program, make sure that you use promo code WMI. It will give you a 5% discount. So if what you have just heard resonates with you, and if you care and you want to be an unsung hero, I implore you, please take a few seconds to call us today and leave a message with a short prayer for us because we need to know that you are with us and care enough to be part of the spark with us so that together we can move God to send a great awakening that can reverse the inevitability of God's coming judgment according to what God spoke in Jeremiah 18, 7, and 8. We believe that if you joined hands with us, together we can save America from certain catastrophic judgment. So call now, okay? 
Dial 360-629-5248. And say a short prayer for us in your message. And leave your phone number too, okay? So one more time, 360-629-5248. Thank you and God bless.